Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. But hey, we're going to jump in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 36, if you want to follow along. And so in verse 26, it says, So they arrived in the region of Gerasenes, across from the lake from Galilee. At Jesus, as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked and living in tombs outside the town. As soon as Jesus As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under the guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, man. Hey, good morning. Golly, you give Lindsay all the love. I get nothing, man. Hey, funny story. We were leaving the house this morning, and I've been gone, as Lindsay said, and uh, had not printed off my sermon. And uh, so we got in the car, and I would asked Amanda to print it off. She's got the printer in the house. She has the power. And uh, we got a little bit down the road, and I looked down at the Sermon, it's literally the smallest font you can imagine. It was my fault. I'm not blaming my wife for this. It is so small. And she said, do we need to go back? And I said, ah, it'll be fine. And I'm, I'm now understanding it's not going to be. Um, so we're going to hope the Holy Spirit speaks this morning uh, because I can't see a thing. Uh, I want to share a really simple message with you guys this morning. If you've grown up in church, I pray you've heard some version of this. 20,000 times before. I want to talk a little bit about identity. I want to talk about finding our way home. And uh, to do that, I want to start off by asking a question uh, to you and then to us as a church. Uh, we're also going to ask this of God. And the question is really simple. It's, it's what do you want? What do you want? Somewhere down the line in our Christian journey, we ask that of God. We ask that of ourselves. We ask that of other people. I was in South Africa 
earlier this year, I think it was last June. Uh, actually, I was in three different countries. I, I went, flew into the Ivory Coast, where we have a lot of our work in West Africa, and went from there over to Ethiopia, and from there to South Africa. Now, in the Ivory Coast, I picked up a stomach bug, which happens from time to time as you travel. I don't know if Rodney Ferguson's here, but he, he's given me some, some magic medicine to cure those things up in the past. So I pick up this stomach bug in the Ivory Coast. Uh, it was awful. I think I lost like 20 pounds in like like two days, and then I flew over to Ethiopia, which is awesome because A, that's a long flight, and B, have you ever had Ethiopian food after picking up a stomach bug in the Ivory Coast? It's great. It's a lot of fun, let me tell you. And finally, I went down to South Africa and flew into Cape Town, which Cape Town is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Uh, and I mean, I felt a wreck. I looked a wreck. And I said, man, I, I, my stomach was just starting to feel a little bit better. I said, I'm going to treat myself to a haircut because they actually have some like hipster barbers there in Cape Town. And so I got off the plane. I looked it up. I found this hipster barber. I went to his, uh, his place of residence. I came in and I noticed I was the only person there that didn't have just an immaculate beard with oil and things of that nature, you know, that kind of thing. And, I, I, and everybody else had this just really fashionable looking haircut. And I'm a pretty simple guy from the Southeast. I just, you know, high and tight, that's my, that's my jam, right? So I come in and the guy's like, uh, what can I do for you? And I said, I'm, I'm a simple guy, sir, from the Southeast of, uh, you know, it's a place called Tennessee. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, just a little on the sides would be great. He said, no problem. And he proceeded to try to do 13 other different kinds of hair designs to me. I'm pretty sure there were swivels that he had in mind, you know, <laughs> tips or what. I don't even know what they do these days, but all kinds of things he was trying to do. And I kept saying, brother, I just want you to cut the sides. Finally, he was finished, and he said, hey, let me just try one more thing before we finish. And I said, yeah, what's that? And he, he got a Q-tip, and he put it down in this jar full of blue goo, and he came at my nose. And I said, what are you, what are you doing there? And he said, I'm going to wax your nose. That's the worst South African accent you will ever hear. And I said, I promise you, you're not going to do that. And he was, he, he was like really offended. I said, man, I just went to three different countries, had a COVID test. I had stuff jammed up my nose all week. You are not going to touch my nose. He asked the question, what do you want? It's the, it's the question of the hour. What do you want? And then he proceeded to pull his agenda out, right? And I mean, have you ever had that done to you? Uh, all the time people ask us some version of that question. What do you want? And then they impose their agenda on us, thinking that they know what's best for us. And, you know, I, I think we do that to God all the time. Like, you know, growing up, I, I constantly, God, what, what, what is your will for my life? What do you want from me? And then I would constantly, and I still do constantly, impose my will upon God, thinking I know what's best for him and what's best for my life. And um, so I just wanted to offer that up to, to launch into an idea of, um, of maybe rethinking the way that we read the Bible and rethinking the way that we ask God that question, what do you want? Um, if we were to ask that question to God today, I mean, right, right now, if we were to say, God, what do you want? And more than that, what is the number one thing that you want from human beings um, and systematic theologians have come up with lots of great answers. Probably the two most popular answers are God wants glory, which is absolutely true, and he absolutely deserves it. He is the weightiest being in the universe, so he is worthy of glory. And some people would say God 
wants and deserves love. And, and I would say that's true too. I mean, God is love and he requires us to love him. We should love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, um, but as I've been rethinking the Bible and reading it through a new set of lenses over the past few seasons, I think the answer that I've come up with that maybe precedes even glory or love is family. And you may be saying, wait a minute, now that sounds a little bit heretical. I grew up in church. I've never heard, and I mean, I'm not the first person to say something like that. But not many people are saying that the number one thing God wants is family. I would argue that it precedes even glory and love. Why? You know, think about it for a second. If if you've studied the Bible for a while, you know that there's this concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's what we believe to be one of the most true things about God, that he perfectly exists within himself. Before the dawn of creation, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and guess what they needed? Nothing. They were perfect, perfectly uh, perfectly sufficient within their own being. And that's mysterious. We don't have time to flesh out all of what that looks like. But if that's true, then God doesn't need anything. What does he want? I think you can make an argument for family. Why? Because even though he was perfectly sufficient in and of himself, he chose to make things like angels, which that's, again, another mysterious thing we don't have time to unpack. And people, and even made people in his own image. The Trinity is perfectly self-sufficient in community. He didn't need to make anything, and yet he invited others into his being. So I think that God's heart for a family and his heart for generosity are just absolutely central to the gospel. And so I'm going to make the argument this morning that, that at the heart of our mission is finding those that don't yet know God and sharing the message of his generosity, inviting others into the family. So I want to, I want to talk about what is our identity, what is our utmost identity, and then what are we called to do with that? Um, because listen, this is not our Christian narrative today in a lot of places, uh, especially here in the Southeast. The current dominant narrative, and I don't know if you heard this growing up, I heard a lot of this, not exclusively, but a lot of times the, the dominant narrative is that God is the judge, and, and so the story ends simply with like a declaration of our innocence. We are to get right with Jesus, pray some kind of prayer, be declared innocent, and then great. And I think all of us know that's not totally the message, but a lot of us kind of buy into that. We've bought into it and we continue to buy into it. It's like, I'm going to have my sins forgiven, which you need to do that. That's important. And then I'm going to be declared innocent because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's true. But then what? Is that, is that it? Is that like, just do we hold on until we die? And I think that's just such a shallow version of Christianity. It's not a compelling narrative and it doesn't capture the beauty of God's heart. We've got to recapture God's heart for family so that we can help people find their way back home just as we have found our way home as well. So we need to understand our role in the family of God and understand our identity as it relates to the Father. And then secondly, we must understand that we are called to help others find their way back home. So first, what is our role in the family of God? Again, we're going to talk about identity. So identity as it relates to what God says about us, what we believe about ourselves, and our identity in relationship to the world. Today, you know, a lot of people, we, we kind of think here in America that we can pick our own identity. Uh, it's customizable, right? 
Uh, we have this high value as Americans of being able to be whatever we want. Uh, we can become whatever we want, and that's just a, a huge value that we have. I'm not saying that's right, wrong, or otherwise, but it's a massive value that we have. And so we believe we can become whatever we want to be. So we say things like, uh, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, I'm you know, a, a, a child of Beth Armstrong. Uh, or we say to carry that out, we say, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a gambler. I'm a rambler. I'm a, however the song goes, right? Or, uh, or we say, you know, uh, in the Christian lingo, I'm a sinner or I'm righteous or, you know, all these kinds of things. Now, um, that can be true, right? We have what are called micro identities. We all have them. Like you've got them. Surprise. I've got them. We've got all kinds of things that we would say about ourselves and that others would say about us, whether they're true or not, right? We have these micro-identities, um, and these micro-identities, even though important, they're not our deepest identity. Like today, I really want to just dive in and say, what is the deepest, most true thing about us? Because there are a thousand voices vying for your attention today and telling you who you are. What is the deepest, most true thing about you? That's what we want to look at today. And so we want to look at this story that Chad already started for us. Uh, I'm going to go back and read it uh, kind of chunks of verses, and, uh, and this, I, I, I'll make the argument today that, that the greatest story of identity crisis is found in this story that we're going to look at with this guy named Legion. And so it says this, if I can read it. <laughs> this is a struggle, man. For they, so they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. And for a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. Now, likely if you've been in church, you've heard this story before. It's one of the more dramatic stories in scripture. And I just want to like maybe think about it in a way that you've possibly not before. Have you ever thought, you know, this says four to 6,000 demons, whatever those demonic spirits meant, whatever that looked like. Have you ever considered that this might've been four to 6,000 kind of pseudo identities, micro identities that had, this guy had come to see himself as. And they, when they were all built up together and formed together his one macro identity, the truest thing about him as he saw himself was legion. Now, you've probably heard, if you've heard this story, if, if you've heard it preached before, that legion, this was a contingent of Roman soldiers, and depending on the time in history, it would have been anywhere from four to 6,000 soldiers that would make up a, a, a contingent called legion, four to 6,000. In other words, this guy was saying, he had four to 6,000 micro-identities vying for his attention, messing him up in the head, and when they were all put together, his macro-identity, all these micro-identities formed this macro-identity known as Legion. He thought it was the truest thing about him. I just think that's a really interesting way to consider this story. 
Um, you know, we don't know what this guy's real name was. Maybe it was Fred. Maybe it was Steve. We don't know. But for him now, it was Legion. That was the truest thing about him as he saw himself. And I just would, you know, ask you, what are, what are features of your identity? What are micro identities that you see in yourself or that you think others see in you? And we could do a whole spiritual exercise now and pause and just like reflect on that for, I don't know, literally hours, although it might be a little bit torturous. What are your micro identities? Is it innocent or guilty? Is it rich or poor? Is it beautiful or ugly? Is it, you know, fill in the blanks. And what happens over the course of life is all these micro-identities build up and build up and build up to where we can't see the truest thing about ourselves anymore. We have become something we were not meant to be called. For this guy, it was legion. For he was many demons. And these are important. When we think about these micro-identities, they're important when we put in line with our deepest identity, which is an understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to that. Well, here's a question. Where are we resting the weight of our soul? The deepest thing about us, where are we resting the weight of our soul? Is it on whether we're rich or poor or liked or respected, or is there a deeper, more mysterious truth at the core of who you are? So uh, I think this equation is going to be on the screen behind me, but here's uh, something I saw not too long ago that's interesting. This is most people's equation when it comes to their identity or their worth. So if you're a math person, you probably won't geek out over this because it's a little bit simplistic. But uh, Identity or worth equals my performance times others' opinions. And this is what the vast majority of the human race, their equation for their identity is. It's my performance, what I can do versus other people's opinions about me. And that's a sad way of doing life. It's based on false presumptions. It's based on all the things people say about you and people will say horrible things about you. If you've not experienced that yet, uh, you know, let me know where you've been hanging out. <laughs> people say some stuff. Um, Jesus just obliterates our false identities if we let them. Not the true things about us, because there are micro-identities, there are things about us that are good and true, but the false things, Jesus wants to obliterate that. And so we, we see that as we read on in this passage. It says in verse 32, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Very dramatic. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Now, I imagine this guy, when I think about this story, I imagine him sitting at Jesus' feet, free for the first time in forever, you know, like a slave to the lies in his head no longer, a slave to the micro-identities no longer. 
This is what happens when we encounter Jesus. Now, for some of you, you've had a very dramatic encounter with Jesus. Maybe not quite like this one, but maybe like a Paul on the road to Tarsus kind of encounter where it was like, man, I was in a church service or I was with this person and had this conversation or I was just in my bedroom or whatever and Jesus just, bam. But that's not most of our first encounters with Jesus. For a lot of us, it's more of a a slow burn. But I would say regardless, when we truly are encountering Jesus, whether in a dramatic fashion or over a long, consistent period of history, uh, he wants to change things. Paul says it like this, and I love this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He said, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we can call him Abba father and maybe you've heard that term Abba could also be it's one of the most uh, endearing terms that you can call a father it's it could be papa or dad or daddy Uh, now we can call him this and um now here's why I think that's a big deal because when that encounter with Jesus happens if you would call yourself a child of God if you believe that you've had your sins forgiven and you've stepped into this new life and made Jesus the Lord of your life and you're following him, here's why that's a big deal. I'm gonna chase a rabbit, all right? So stay with me for just a second. But this is one of the most, I think, important things that we're gonna touch on today. And have you ever thought about when in, in Jesus in, in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, that's called the Great Commission. So I'm the missions guy. I'm probably always gonna bring up the Great Commission because it's when Jesus empowered the church with a message to go out. And have you ever thought when he told his first disciples, and he tells us this today, to go make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then he said, and baptize them. Now watch this, watch this. Please don't miss this. Have you ever thought about it when he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that a big deal? You know, we we touched on this idea of the Trinity, this concept of God that is fully sufficient, that needs nothing in and of itself. But when we have been adopted and are able to call God Daddy, Papa, then this reality has taken place and baptism is a picture of it when we get immersed into the fullness of what God was before time even began. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Daniel, Lindsay, Kenny, Ellie, family. Did you catch it? The immersion symbolized in baptism is into this all self-sufficient family that God didn't need He wanted it. He wanted you to be brought into this family, this beautiful thing that's so mysterious, we can't put it into human words. And so now we get to call him Father. More than that, we get to call him Papa, Abba, Daddy. It's this mysterious thing that's so beautiful that I'm not doing it justice up here. Now, in this family, we've got this perfect father. And as kids, you know, we run into each other in our father's arms and we say, Daddy, my kids have done that. They're still, they're still doing that. They're almost too big. I hope they'll still do it a few more years. And, and, and there's a reason that, you know, we stop doing that when we get a little bit older, right? Like my son Emerson, he's eight, almost nine. When he gets to be 18, he's already a big kid. Like if he does that when he's 18, it's going to hurt a lot. Like if he runs it and throws himself at me like he does now. 
Um, you know, and what's happened, I think, in our Christian culture and in our churches is we've lost this idea because of the way our culture is telling us, oh, it's, it's taboo to like for an adult to run into their father's arms. My, my dad's sitting right down there. I, dad's still a pretty tough dude. I'd probably hurt him pretty bad if I did that. Our culture would say, don't do that. Like, you know, that's for kids. And unfortunately, the church has told us the same thing. Hey, there comes a point when you're kind of too big for that intimacy anymore. There comes a point when, well, that's not referring to him as daddy anymore. He's, he's father. <laughs> um, it becomes like a different Christianity. And I think God would just like tell us today, do you realize what I've done? Do you realize the sacrifice I've made to draw you into the family? And you're never too big to fall into my arms. Um, regaining that concept of God as father, but more than that as daddy. Um, I think that's why Jesus said to be like children. Only then are we able to enter the kingdom, Jesus said. And so listen, our first identity, and, and you probably already knew where I was going with this, our first identity is not any of those micro-identities that you may see in yourself or that others may see in you. Our first identity is a beloved son, a beloved daughter, of father, but more than just father, of daddy, of someone who loves us so intimately that he gave everything for us. The Godhead, in some mysterious way, for a moment in history when Jesus was on the cross, the Godhead, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit concept that we're talking about here, um, you remember when it talks about the Father turning his face away from Jesus and Jesus saying, do you remember when he said this? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever thought about what happened on the cross at that point? Check this out. You have this Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but for a brief blip in time on the cross, the Father turned his face away, and somehow that perfect communion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was somehow fractured. It was somehow severed just for a moment. Why? So that you could be brought into the family. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He was perfectly sufficient in and of himself. He allowed the essence of who he was to somehow mysteriously be severed for a moment in history to say, you can come in. You can join in this family. And now we can call him daddy. It's, it's just too beautiful. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've heard that like a million times. I still can't wrap my head around it. I don't know why he would do that for me. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, or really when I got into my early 20s, um, I started going out, seeing the world a little more, a little more, and I started hanging out with folks that, you know, outside of the Southeast that had these prim and proper accents, uh, and I, I'd never really thought about my accent before. Like, I know I still have an accent now, but I kind of cover it up a little bit. I don't know why. It's this vain thing about me. Now, my mom does this. I'm going to pick a mom. Mom does the same thing. If... If we go and have lunch after, you're going to see this beautiful East Tennessee twang come out between she and I. Like, we have this language that Northerners are just not going to understand. They're not going to get it. But when I hit my 20s, I remember starting to kind of, like, subconsciously be uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know, afraid to bring my true self out, my true accent. I would start to, like, cover it up, especially with people that I deemed to be, like, I don't know, more scholarly than me or whatever. It's such a silly thing. Um, and I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've ever run away from like a part of who you are, tried to be something you're not. And, and you know, we can run away from customs and our, even our biological families. We could even run away from 
from ourselves, but we just can't run away from God who's drawing all people unto himself. The Bible says he's not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And so we can run from every part of ourselves. We can run from micro-identities, true or untrue. We can run from the deepest truths about ourselves, but we just can't run from the deepest part of ourselves. We can't run from the part of ourselves that was made in God's image to be his son or his daughter. And we're all of us trying to find our way back home. And once we've found it, we're called to bring others with us. And so I want to look at the last part of this story. And this is one of the coolest parts of the story that I really hadn't picked up on um, earlier in my life. And just recently I've kind of been amazed at the end of it. I always wondered, and we're going to read it in a second. I always wondered why Jesus didn't allow Legion to go with him after this miraculous thing happened. Um, So check out what happened here in, in the story. Verse 37, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear had swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. Um, another version of the story says that, Jesus, that the guy asked to go with Jesus, and he was like, no, you, uh, you, you need to stay here. Um, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no. Go back to your family. Here it is. Why would he say this? Go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Now, I remember when I was younger thinking, man, like, I mean, this guy was the biggest wreck ever. And now he's fully restored. And he's like, hey, can I go with you? And Jesus is like kind of harsh. He's like, no, nope. Go back to where you come from (laughs) and tell everybody what happened. Um, and, you know, some scholars say that this man was actually commissioned by Jesus to be the first missionary to the Gentiles. And I had not heard that early on, but check this out. Just let me, again, one more rabbit trail. This is the last rabbit trail, all right? Um, because, and I'm going to bring it back home for us in just a second. But chase this rabbit with me. In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, the, God raises up this family um, from a guy called Abraham and his wife Sarah. Um, It starts in Genesis chapter 12, and really that story continues on through the rest of the Bible. So in Genesis 12, God sets the scene for everything that's about to happen, and here's what he does. He tells this guy, Abraham, I'm going to bless your family. Uh, You're going to be multiplied. You're going to be more than the stars and the sky and the sands on the seashore. But then he says what's maybe the most important part of that text. He says, I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to do this for you so that all the families on planet Earth, all the tribes, all the tongues, all the nations will be blessed through you. Then the Bible goes on, and there's lots of other books and confusing things, and it, it gets all kind of crazy and a little bit out of whack because Abraham's family totally misses the plot. Like, they totally make everything about themselves. They, I mean, a lot of the Bible is, seems to be about these people who get so about themselves that they forget about the rest of planet Earth, even though God had commissioned them to be a family, the first fruit of many nations. And then we come back to this story. And some scholars say that what God had planned through Abraham, through his people to bless many, he first commissions Guess who? To start that. Do you know when Jesus sent Legion? We'll call him Fred from now on. You know where he sent him back to? Where his, where his like countryside was? It was the Decapolis. It was like it was like Gentile 
I mean, in other words, not Abraham's family. It was the nations. That's where he lived. It was people from all different backgrounds that were not Jewish. And so Jesus says, go back. So I'm a missions guy, right? Could the first missionary to unleash God's plan on planet Earth through his chosen family be Legion slash Fred? (laughs) I mean, that's only God could do something like that. That's only a story that could come from the kind of father that we're talking about today. The most jacked up person maybe that's ever lived with four to 6,000 micro identities, four to 6,000 things that culminated into this massive lie that he had become. That's the guy that gets sent to start preaching the good news of Jesus to people who weren't Jews. And we sit like halfway around the world today a result of others that followed in his footsteps, in Legion slash Fred's footsteps. And we're brought into the kingdom, sons and daughters. I love that. Here's why that's a big deal for us today. I don't care where you are in life. I mean, I do, you know, but I, I, I don't care where you're at. Um, I don't care what you say about yourself and I don't care what other people have said about you. You are deeply, deeply loved by a father and he's calling you back home. Maybe you've never taken the invitation to go back home, but you are made in the image of God and he is calling you as a son and daughter to come back home. But that's not all. He's calling you to bring others with you. I mean, if Legion could be a part of that process, surely we can. Um, you may be saying, though, okay, cool. I need to go home, call them. I need to call others back home. Yeah, okay, uh, what is home? It's <laughs> a great question. And, man, I'm going to give the most Sunday school answer either, but then I'm going to back it with some good scripture, all right? Home is Jesus. Home is Jesus. And you may say, what? what do you mean? Jesus said so. Jesus said that about himself. Listen to this. In, in, in John 14, 1 through 7, Jesus, this was him talking to his closest disciples. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. So there's that home, but stay with it here. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Uh, no, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. Love Thomas. <laughs> he said, Thomas said, we, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know, watch this, you would know who my Father is. Jesus making himself identical with the Father. From now on, you do know him, the Father, and have seen him. In other words, as you're looking at me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father, you have seen home. Jesus is home. So what's step one for us? It's, I think it's, it's, recogni- it's recognizing that we're powerless to get home without the grace of God. And you might be saying, you know, I don't deserve to go home. I'm so messed up. And I would say that's so true. <laughs> the most beautiful thing about God that he calls us in as undeserved children. My kids, a lot of times, including this morning, not the one sitting there, but the one out there, so I can say this about him, didn't deserve a lot of stuff he's going to get today. God bless him. Please don't tell him I said that because he's a very emotional kid. 
Um, absolutely, we don't deserve it. It's a loving father. And me, I mean, I'm going to take that kid. He, he could have slapped me in the face 10 times today, and he would still be in my arms this afternoon if he so chose, chose to be so. Um, nothing could keep him from me. Jesus doesn't see us for just who we currently are, but he sees us for what we're becoming, what he's calling us to. Um, a couple more quick stories. I promise I'm almost done here. Um, there was a, I've got a friend named Rob. Uh, Chad knows Rob. Uh, Rob told this story one time about um, he had a, a, a pug, uh, and they got it as a puppy. And this pug was raised in a house full of cats. Um, it was the only dog. And so this, he was like, he was like, uh, man, I swear this, 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 uh, this dog had, has like an, uh, an identity crisis. It's really bad because it goes around with this very strange bark that sounds suspiciously like a meow. It doesn't know how to bark. And so it would be like, it would be like, not that. That was as bad as my South African accent, actually. And he says that as the dog got older, it slowly, you could almost like hear the dog's weird meow-like bark turning progressively, increasingly into a bark because it was a dog. It, you know, that's, that's, that's who it was uh, intrinsically at its deepest core. Um, and at our deepest core, you know, and we run from it, just like I ran for my accent and like we run to all these micro identities, but the deepest core of who we are is made in the image of God, a son and a daughter of the king. And so it's not just changing our behavior to make God happy. You may be saying today, if I want to get home, I've got to change my behavior. I've got to immediately go from this confusing meow to this bark. And I would say, man, it's not about changing your behavior. That's, it, that's important. We should change. We should grow as we get older, but that's not the starting place. It's not about changing our behavior to make God happy. We are accepted. We are, he is happy with you. And so now you can let your behavior and your identity flow from that acceptance that God has for you. It's about believing that, yes, you're a sinner, and yes, that Jesus did die for your sins, but then even beyond that, it's about believing that he invites you in and you are accepted right where you are, just as you are, period. Again, most people's equation, and I think we'll put it back on the screen here, most people's equation is our identity or our worth, oh, there we go, yeah, our identity or our worth um, is equal to my performance times others' opinions. That's, that's what a lot of us believe. But here's another equation. Here's another equation, and I think we'll have this. In fact, this is what we could say is God's equation. God's equation is our identity or our worth is equal to God's performance, not our performance, but God's performance times what he sees in us. God's performance times what he sees in you. And when he sees you, he sees a son, he sees a daughter. Incredibly loved. Nothing can separate you from his love. Now, we said before, we will never be faithful in a biblical sense if we never move from home base. Now, here's what, I'm going to give a quick baseball analogy, all right? Braves just won it all. Woohoo! Zero Braves fans, okay. <laughs> well, hopefully you know something about baseball or else this isn't going to make much sense. Let's imagine for just a second that 
Um, somebody from out of the country that had never heard of baseball before came here, saw the game of baseball just for an instant on TV, but understood nothing. And so you were trying to explain baseball to this person and you say, well, first, you know, you're the batter and you come up to home base. You come up to home and, and they say, oh, cool. And they said, then what do you do? You say, you hit the ball and they say, oh, that's fine. And then what do I do? And you say, well, then you, you come back to home. And they say, well, I'm already at home. Like, what's the, what's the point of that? And obviously, it's gone way over their heads. Um, and that's kind of a silly analogy. But listen, that's what happens with a lot of us in our Christianity. Because we say, okay, Josh, everything you said today, home, identity, who I am in Jesus, you know, Abba, Father, yes, all that stuff. I get it. I'm there. But we've not learned to play the game of baseball properly. I want to be clear, you don't have to hit the ball and run around the base to be perfectly at home in who you are in the Father. But what a boring way to play baseball, right? Like if this guy, Legion, had just had this incredible encounter and that was it for the rest of his life, then he might as well just stay in that cave sitting down waiting to die. And that's what happens with so many of us Christians. We made it to home, and then we come and we sit on our padded seats on Sunday morning and we don't play the game throughout the week. We don't have to play that game, we're invited in. There's a reason Jesus said, no man, don't go with me. I mean, that'd be cool, I'd love to have you, but you know, go, go, and he's launched out as the first missionary. And he, he wants to do that for us. So I just would say one other quick side note. If you're, if you're here today and you're like, okay, all this stuff I've heard a million times, but I'm still really stuck. Not to mention, I still have all these other micro identities flowing around in my head. Here's what I would say to you. You might not be playing the game. <laughs> you might be just content and holding on instead of invited to be a part of this incredible journey, to be able to go out, to live on mission, to change the landscape around us, to change the landscape of your workplace and your school and your home and your neighborhood. It's a different way to do Christianity. I think it's Jesus' way. And so, Alan Hirsch said this. Uh, Alan Hirsch said, in a very real and sobering way, we must actually become the gospel to the people around us, an expression of the real Jesus through the quality of our lives. And I would say, instead of saying the quality of our lives, I would like to change that and say an expression of who we are, who our identity is in the Father. When we have discovered that identity, then we are called to be an expression of it out into the world, to call others back home as well. So I'm gonna ask uh, the band or Brad or Daniel, whoever's coming up here, if they want to join me. I want to tell one more story. All right, last one, promise. I don't know if I've been longer than Lindsay or not. You've been long-winded lately? <laughs> last week? Okay. All right. I don't even know what our timeline is. I'm almost done. All right. But one more story. Um, and when, I don't know if you've ever lost a kid. If you're a parent and have ever lost a kid, it's literally the, I can't imagine a worse feeling uh, when our daughter was like three or four, we were at the Knoxville Zoo, and it was packed that day. And man, we were uh, we were hanging out with her one minute, and our, our little bitty son Emerson was playing in this little playground area. We turned around, boom, she's gone, and I lost my mind. 
I lost my mind. I ran everywhere trying to find her. I quickly was like, oh, I need to run to the front gate because if somebody were to take her, I'm going to be the front gate. I mean, I, like, I wasn't thinking clearly. I think I knocked a couple of elderly people. Uh, like, seriously, I'm not, I'm not saying that in a funny way. Like, it was, I was knocking people over. It was dangerous the extent I would go to to find my daughter. I don't know if you ever lost a kid. It's awful. You know, imagine with me for a second that you've got a child... Uh, in fact, you got two kids, and you're in Walmart. All right, put yourself in that scenario. And your older kid is on their cell phone, as they do, right? And your younger kid, that, that, what happened at the zoo, that happens to you at Walmart. You turn around, younger kid's gone. You lose your mind. You are running everywhere in Walmart. You even go to the roof. <laughs> Anywhere the kid could possibly be, you're losing your mind. And you finally find the child and you come back to where you had first lost the child. And your oldest kid is still right there on the cell phone, texting away, hasn't moved. And maybe you can see where I'm going with this. A lot of us in the room today have found our way back home. And unfortunately, like a lot of the church, we're just texting on our cell phone while a desperate father who loves the human race is going hard after them. And we're just doing our own thing. And it's a shallow way to do Christianity. It's a shallow way to do Christianity. Um, so listen, two things today, and we're going to go into our time of Selah. Because I think God might be talking to one of two different kinds of people in the room today. And, and if he's not talking to you at all, no problem. Go to, get on your cell phone. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but I think he might want to just relate to a couple of us. And so I'm not going to do any weird bait and switch stuff. And so don't feel obligated to close your eyes. But just uh, maybe to go into our time of Selah and time of reflection. Here's how I'd like to do that. If you feel comfortable, maybe just closing your eyes, getting a comfortable position. I'm not going to ask you to like... Throw your hands up. I, seriously, I'm nothing beyond close your eyes. <laughs> and even then, only do that if you want to. Um, but, you know, I think God might want to talk to one of two different kinds of people. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, oh, my gosh, when you were doing all that riffing on, like, micro identities, a thousand lies about myself, maybe even it's formed into one big lie. Like, that, that was speaking to me. Like, I resonate in a way with legion, I resonate with, I hear everything about myself except for true stuff. <laughs> and I would just say today, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you're hearing it for the first time, the truest thing about you is that you are so deeply loved by the Father to the extent that I don't care where you're at in life right now, you could be as, as, as mixed up as legion himself and yet God's arms are wide open saying you can run straight into them right where you're at. And if you've never done that, or if you just haven't done that in a long time, I would say that the Father right now is standing with arms wide open. And he says, I, I just, I know all those things people are saying, and I know what you think about yourself, but here's what I say about you. I love you, and nothing can change that. Nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in the future. You are my son. You are my daughter. Welcome home. And so if that's you, maybe just camp out there for a second. And, and 
tune me out and let the Holy Spirit just speak to you. But maybe you're the second type of person and maybe you've just been in a rut in terms of being comfortable with where you're at in your faith, being on home base and saying, ah, it's, it's easy here, I don't have to do much. Being on our cell phones, right? And I don't know if you've seen the world lately, but it's jacked up. And the Father is blazing through the zoo. The Father is blazing through Walmart because his heart for the lost, for the people that don't know how to get home is so huge. And maybe we've just been on our phones. And I'm not saying that to give anybody a guilt trip today. I mean, I think a lot of us know that's, that's, that's true for a lot of us. I know it's been true for me throughout times in my life. I mean, I'm the missions pastor for crying out loud and, and there are days when that's true for me more often than I'd like to admit. There are others who need to be brought home. There's a lot of hurting people. What kind of Christianity are we living? What did we sign up for? And so I'm just gonna be quiet for a few minutes and or a couple minutes here and let the Holy Spirit just speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you speak in whatever way that you would like now? Convict us of sin, convict us of apathy. Um, and for those of us who are desperate to get home right now, Lord Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just invite them in right now?